So um, I am going to do my very best to slow down. I know I said that last time. My pastor was here on Wednesday, and he said, you know, you said you were going to slow down. And he's like, you started slow, but then you just got ramped up again. I was like, I know. I can't help it. So let's just try to relax. Here we go. We got this. So last week, we finished up our message, which was called Fulfilling God's Plan. That was Joshua chapter, one, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. In that message, what we addressed was some of the components that were in place in order for God's plan to be fulfilled. We looked at, first of all, the facilitators of God's plan, the implementation of God's plan, the compromise of God's plan, the holy purpose of God's plan, and the fulfillment of God's plan. Now, we should all know by now what God's plan was. God's plan was to get them into Canaan, right? To get them out of Egypt, get them through the wilderness, and get them into Canaan, into the promised land. That was the whole point. And in preparation of this becoming their reality, what we found was the fact that Joshua had led them through many great battles, and they'd had tremendous victories. And what at this point in time is happening is they're actually coming together. Now, they functioned as one body. They functioned as one army. But now what's going to happen is they're actually going to delineate into the different tribes. They're going to go into their different areas. And what we saw was the fact that they were there was an overwhelming um, principle that was revealed last week, which is the fact that God was instrumental in all that took place, everything that was happening. He chose the facilitators who would direct the distribution, the process that they would use to implement it, the holy purpose that was to be reflected in it, and the realization of the fulfillment of it. But there was that one issue we talked about, the compromise, right? That was the issue with Moses. Moses had made in a deal with two and a half of the tribes to give them something that was not actually God's will for them. And what we had to do was understand the fact that And and what we learned from them and from that principle was the fact sometimes circumstances are not what we want them to be. Sometimes we're dealt a deal of of cards, hand of cards, however you get it, (laughs) dealt some cards, and they're not necessarily the ones that you're happy with. But you have to make do with what you have. And what we find is the fact that this, that what we saw with, with, with Joshua and with Eleazar and with the, 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 the tribal leaders was they were dealt this deck of cards and they were dealt this situation that wasn't something that they were happy with necessarily, but they made the best they could possibly with it. Understanding that the ultimate goal that they had to have was that what they chose to do would ultimately honor and glorify God. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, 33. It's a verse we used many times last week. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's about priorities in our life, meaning the number one priority, the thing we needed to learn was the fact that above all else, no matter what circumstances may arise, our job ultimately is to honor and glorify God. And so circumstances don't determine our success in life. Our faith in God's plan is what determines success in life. And the sooner we come to realize that, the sooner we grip this, the sooner we can experience our promised land. What's, what's our promised land spiritually? Now, remember, the Israelites are a picture, a physical picture. And we're a, we're live, they're a picture for us, but we're, the spiritual is in us. So our promised land is not a physical place. It's actually a place of peace and rest with God. It's a place of fellowship with the Lord. So ultimately, that's what we're working towards. And this is what we were created for. God created us for a love relationship. In the Garden of Eden, man, he created them for a love relationship. But it was the choice of man that changed things. So there's that love relationship God wants for us. So what we see now is they're at a place where the stage is set 
for God to deliver to them what it is they deserve. And what's interesting is they're going to get their inheritance. And the, uh, absolutely so, the very first person that's going to come is a very, very godly man, a God-fearing man who had proven himself not only to be faithful in battle, but faithful in his life. And we see as this man comes to receive his inheritance, a man named Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite of the tribe of Judah. He's preparing to receive his inheritance because of his unwavering faithfulness, which is the title of our message today. Let's pray and jump into it. Thank you, Lord, for today, for loving us so much, for being so incredibly faithful, uh, Lord, in circumstances, God, that so many times we do not understand, but Lord, yet you are with us, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thank you, Lord, for always being there. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving or nor forsaking us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house today. Thank you for each one that has made this a priority to be here. And I do pray that, God, you'll bless the message, that you'll use it for your glory. God, you know uh, my desire is not to be heard. Uh, my desire is to just to deliver what you've given me. So, Lord, help me to do it to the best of my ability and get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter number 14. We're going to be in verses 6 through 9. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, in my, nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Listen to this phrase. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 9. And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. So we can see here that Caleb is coming on behalf of the tribe of Judah to receive the blessing from the Lord. And what's interesting is, in fact, the rest of this chapter, 14, is actually set aside about him. So as we continue our message, we'll be talking further about the actual inheritance or receiving of that inheritance for Caleb and the tribe of Judah. So what's, what's the secret, right? That's what we want to know. In these four verses, we see a revelation into kind of who Caleb is. Some really interesting points about him. In preparation for receiving his inheritance, we see this passage reveals three things. First, it reveals the fact that he had a consistent faith, that he was unaffected by naysayers, and then lastly, he held fast to the promises of God. This is the secret to Caleb's success. But before we get to Caleb, I want you to pay attention to where the Israelites actually are. Look at their location. They are back at their base of operations in Gilgal. Verse number 6 says this, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. Now we have our map. I know Miss Cindy's excited. I brought the map back. So in the map, here's Gilgal. Here is Canaan. What you find is it's centrally located. Basically, it's sort of the center point, And it's a great place for them to launch from. This is where they're all going to distribute and go out to their own individual territories. But what's interesting also about Gilgal, if we remember back as we worked our way through the book of Joshua, was this was the place where God told them to establish the monument. They were to take the 12 stones out of the Jordan River. They were to establish a monument so that they could remember the miraculous way that God had brought them over the Jordan River, dried the river, brought them across, and delivered them into Canaan. We see it registered in Joshua chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. It says, on those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? 
Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. A reminder, a monument, a memorial that when they would see it, it would remind them of how good God had been. And so we can see that Gilgal is important, certainly logistically or or location-wise, but it's also very significant to the Israelites' faith. It was where they surrendered to God's command in order for them to be circumcised. They were supposed to be physically uh, 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 marked or identified as God's people. Interestingly enough, when you and I receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior by faith, when we trust in Him, the Lord does something like that for us as well. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh." By the circumcision of Christ. Remember, they are a physical representation, a picture of a spiritual aspect for us. So here is talking about a spiritual circumcision, which just happens to identify us as the children of God. What is so cool? No longer are we identified through death. We are now eternally identified through life. How awesome is that? Praise the Lord. It was a place where they committed themselves to fulfilling God's mission to conquer Canaan. So this is very key. It's very fitting that this is where the next chapter of their journey will begin. And so the tribe of Judah and their spokesman, Caleb, come to Joshua in verse number six. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Now, why did they not go to Eleazar? Now, Eleazar, again, remember last, he was listed He was listed first. Well, Eleazar's role was to be a spiritual leader. He was to be an overseer or a guide. But the man that they were to follow was Joshua. Joshua was handpicked by God. He had walked with Moses. Moses had discipled him. And when Moses left the scene in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua filled his role. So it's only fitting, as, as, as Caleb is talking about what Moses said, that he would come to Joshua and make his appeal to him. And so interestingly enough, we have a picture forming before us, okay? We have a man who is an epitome, Caleb, an epitome of faithfulness. A faithful man who has willingly and and given his heart to serving the Lord. The Bible says, has wholly followed the Lord. And here he comes, this faithful man, standing before his Joshua. Now his Joshua, who is a physical representation of the Lord on earth. He is God's representative, Joshua. And so we see this picture of him. And there he is standing, waiting to receive a reward for the things that he's done. God bless you. And so what do we see? Interestingly enough, if we were to make a parallel to you and I, we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. What does it say? For we must all appear, this is speaking to children of God, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or Bad. So God is going to reward us based upon our actions, our activity, our, our faithfulness. We will be rewarded based upon our service, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Now, with Caleb, we know, thankfully, Caleb's was good. He did very, very, very well. And so we see this, uh, as we'll see, uh, the rest of this chapter, as I mentioned before, it's all about them receiving their reward. Because remember, 
a principle that we've talked about time and time and time again is God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. That's the expectation of us. Listen, when we get saved, that's completely up to God. All we do is by faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in his finished work on the cross. We bring nothing to the party but sin. We bring mistakes. We bring failure. But God says, you know what? If you'll put your faith in me, I'll redeem you. I'll restore you. I'll make you new. So we, that's up to him. But then there's the life after that. As a Christian, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to learn how to be faithful to our, to our husband, right? As a, the picture of the bride, right? The picture of the bride of Christ. That's the church. And God expects us to be faithful. So this is the ongoing journey. So what we notice, first of all, with Caleb, if that's our desire, is the fact that, listen, Caleb had a consistent faith. That's our first point. Numbers page, uh, verse 7. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Now, Caleb is referencing something that happened 45 years earlier when he and 11 other spies had gone into Canaan to search the land. That's where God told them they were supposed to go. And when they got to the border, they went in and they searched it. Twelve of them did. Now, Moses recounts this event for us in Deuteronomy chapter 1. I have a lot of verses today, but bear with me. They're story verses, so they'll be easy to listen to. Here we go. Deuteronomy. Something in here is choking people up, and I love it. It's exciting. (laughs) Emotional. I love it. Here we go. Deuteronomy 1, verses 19 through 36. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. This is Moses saying this. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Man, you guys have got this. Let's do it. And ye came near unto me, and every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And Moses was like, Okay, that's fine. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. And they turned and went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshel and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands, and they brought it down unto us. And they brought us word again and said, It is a good land, which the Lord our God doth give us. Verse 26. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And verse number 27. And ye murmured in your tents. Okay, you didn't have the guts to even tell anything to me. You went back and you complained to one another in your tents. And everybody's murmuring, right? You murmured in your tents because the Lord hated us. This is your attitude. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Look what God did. This whole thing was a setup. The whole thing. Can you believe it? It seemed like he was on our side, but no... Not the case. And how many people face adversity in their life with this attitude? Instead of trusting the Lord who's been faithful throughout, when a circumstance comes, they go, okay, great. So this whole thing, right, he just, he brought me here to destroy me. You know, it turns out, I thought God loved me. It turns out he hates me. Wow, how sad is this? How broken is this? But you know what? It's being defeated by circumstance. It happens all the time. Verse 28, whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Based upon what we can see, listen, we have no chance. This thing is a lost cause. Do you not realize Canaan is a death sentence? It's a setup. It's destruction. 
Verse 29, Moses says, Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Do you forgotten? It's just been a little while ago. It's not even a year or so. We were just in Egypt. Do you remember the most powerful nation in the world where you were under bondage and you'd been there for 430 years? And do you remember what happened? You remember how God brought you out and miraculously did these incredible things? Do you remember that? Any memory of that, guys, at all? Nope. And in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bare thee, he provided for you. As a man doth bear his son and all the way that, he, that you went until you came into this place. He's gotten you all the way to here and he's been faithful every step of the way. It says, yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God. Who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents. In fire by night to show you by way what you should go. And in a cloud by day. Not only was he with you, but he was giving you a physical manifestation of his presence the entire time. During the day, you saw a cloud you could follow, and at night, there was a pillar of fire you could walk behind. My goodness, has he not done enough? He's been with you every step of the way, and yet, verse 34, And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and was wroth and swear, and saying, Now Moses is recounting what God said, Surely there shalt not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon and to his children. And notice what God says about him. Because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Man, to have God say that about us. Oh, my soul. Wow. So at this time, when they're spying this, this land out, this is, I mean, Caleb's only 40 years old. I mean, a young a young, young man, just a baby, really. I mean, goodness gracious, 40 years old is just a kid. The older I get, the more I realize that's true. It's absolutely amazing. When I was a kid, 40 years old, I was like, God, he's like a grandpa. Now I'm like, is he, can he drive? That's amazing. <laughs> but what we know about Caleb's life is that, listen, Caleb trusted God. He trusted God, and he trusted God's word. He heard what God said, and, man, he held on to it. This is the key to his success for the Lord. He was willing to trust the character of God. This is key. He understood who God was and what's character is. God's character was consistent. And what he saw was he said he knew that God was, regardless of circumstances, no matter what was going on, he could trust in God. And so when the fearful spies came back and they reported back this evil report, Caleb, his faith-filled response is the following in Numbers 13, 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, listen, and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Man, do not let fear stop you. Guys, God is on our side. He's proven it to you. And can I tell you, as a child of God, that's a message we all need to hear. The same faithfulness we see to these Israelites, man, it's the same faithfulness that we have. We need not live in fear no matter what we face, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the odds, no matter what other people may say. God is with us. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Forsake means turn his back. He says, I'll never turn my back on you. I don't care how bad you mess this thing up. Thank God. Because if it was possibly for forsaken, there have been days where I know God would have gone, Dave, I am done. I mean, you have just, I'm just exhausted, dude. I just cannot do it one more time. You're just a mess, right? But he doesn't. He says, you know what? I'm going to love you for who you can be, not who you are in this moment. I love you for your potential. 
Listen, when God's with us, we cannot lose. Listen to what Romans 8.31 says. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? No one. Listen to what David says. Someone who knew firsthand how good God was. He knew the power of God. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and we praise thy glorious name. Listen to David's heart. The almighty God of the universe, creator God. He is our father. Listen, he's our companion. He's, he's our protector. He's our savior. He's our friend. Listen to what Psalm 27 one says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And just as God was with David, man, he's with us. He walks with us. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Let your covetous, let your conversation be without covetous and, and, be, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And because of his presence, because of his faithfulness, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This world cannot hurt me because guess what? God is with me. Again, circumstances do not determine our success. Our faith does. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Man, that's an easy verse to memorize. So easy. And it rolls off the tongue. Just great tattoo, great T-shirt, great bumper sticker. Sounds amazing. Living that verse is much, much more difficult than it is to say. Simple verse. Walk by faith not by sight, okay? So don't allow your circumstances to influence you. So though, even though it is difficult to apply, it does not make it any less true. It is, it is a reality. This is what Caleb lived. Caleb walked his life. He saw everything those other guys saw, and yet he did not allow what he saw to influence his faith in God. He says, I know who I have believed, right? He's put his faith in the Lord. So he's walking by faith. And see, his results his result speak for themselves. As for God, remember, God rewards faithfulness. And so the second thing we notice about Caleb, not only was he a great man of faith, but he was a bit of a maverick. He was, he was, a, he was a pretty tough dude. Verse 8 explains to us, it says this, the fact that our point is this, Caleb was unaffected by naysayers. Verse 8 says this, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. See, Paul restates a similar thing when he says this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. He says, For the which cause I shall I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, even though I'm going through difficulties, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My circumstances are not impacting me. I am walking by faith. Like Caleb, Paul was a man of unwavering faith. 
And though we've touched on it, I want us to go to the firsthand account. We saw it in Deuteronomy 1 when Moses kind of told us what kind of happened as he told us or recounted it back. But the firsthand account takes place in Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 33. This is after they've returned from spying on Canaan. Verse 25. And they returned from searching of the land about 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look how great it is. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, just like you said. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They're right. They are stronger than them, but they're not stronger than God. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are, are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants. Notice it's saw, saw. We saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight, again, sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. All about what they saw. And you know what? Sadly, in response to that evil report of the 603,550 men over the age of 20 years old, only two would not fall prey to their emotions. Only two would not rebel against God, Joshua and Caleb. This was the response of the rest in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night when they were murmuring in their tents. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. You know what? Why didn't you just leave us there to die in bondage? Or, would God we had just died in the wilderness? Couldn't you just let us starve to death out there in the middle of nowhere? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Couldn't we go back to our bondage? Amazingly, there are people who get saved, who God brings them out of their bondage, who get so caught up in the world, and when the circumstances of life come at them, they'll go, you know what? I quit this whole Christian thing. I'm just going to go back to the world, and that's, that's going to be my solution. I'm going to go back to Egypt. Listen to this. And they said one to another, let us make a captain, a new leader, and let us return into Egypt. Now, instead of being impacted by this, notice this. It's amazing. Now, over the overwhelming majority are responding this way, and yet Caleb did the opposite. Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Rent their clothes means they humble themselves before God. And they spake unto all the company, the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. You saw that. If the Lord delight in us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Listen, this is a meal. Their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. Recognize the fact that they are not wavering in their faith. 
when 603,548 of their peers stand in direct opposition to what they've just said. They're defiant of those people. Caleb held his ground. He stood and spoke. And you see, this is another reason why Caleb was successful. How are we when it comes to standing against those who oppose our faith? Do we speak up? Do we speak the truth in love to oppose their ignorance? Or do we quietly hold the truth in our hearts, turn our backs, and silently disagree? Sadly, that's been the case for Christians for generations now. Why is the church so weak in our country? Because people didn't know how to stand up for what was right. They got caught up in political arguments and social arguments, and they lost sight of the mission, which is to reach the world. We're not here to overthrow the government. We're not here to change the government. Jesus came to to Rome, and Rome had, had absolute rule over the Hebrews, over the Jews. And they were like, man, has he come here to overthrow the Romans? And he, never, he said, listen, give unto, he said, honor and give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He never spoke against the government. He came to reach the world. And as believers in Christ, that is our role in this world. Politics is not the battle that we're here to fight. Because guess what? If someone agrees with me politically and goes to hell, what's the point? What's the point? We're not even here just to bring humanitarian aid. Certainly we offer things to our brothers and sisters, but it must have a a, a connotation or a gospel-driven incentive. Because ultimately, why are we here? It's to reach the broken world. Poked, uh, poked, Caleb. I don't know where Poked came from. <laughs> that's another guy who says it's probably his cousin. <laughs> Poked's Caleb's. Yeah, that's it. Um, Caleb spoke up. <laughs> not to be right. Notice it wasn't. It's not about being right. It was about exposing the truth. It was about speaking the truth, trying to influence these people. And see, that should be the same motivation for us. We don't get into a discussion. Because we want to win the argument. We get into the discussion because we want to win the person. How do you overcome a lie? With the truth. That's the only way you can overcome a lie. But if we won't speak the truth, then we let the lie continue. And so we've seen that Caleb had a consistent faith and that he was, wasn't impacted by naysayers. Now, the last characteristic that led to his success was this fact. The fact that, listen, Caleb held fast to the promises of God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Remember what Deuteronomy chapter 1, when we were there, when Moses was recounting for us the words of God, he said this in verses 35 and 36. Surely there shall no one, not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. And what's interesting is if you go into the Bible and you check that, that little phrase, wholly followed the Lord, it shows up five different times. And guess who it's always talking about? Caleb. Amazing. He had a, quite a testimony, not, even with, not only with God, but with Moses. And he spoke it even of himself. This exact phrase, again, referencing him five different times. And we see what Caleb says in verse 9, is that it's not only about his consistency of his faith in God, but also in his faith in God's promise. 
He's holding on to God's promise. Keep in mind, at this point in time when he speaks up, he's been holding on to that promise for 45 years. 45 years. And what's interesting about that, that tells us how long they've been in Canaan for about four years. So we look at this aspect of what's taking place. What's going on with Caleb? He's holding on to God's word because, again, he knows that God is a man of his word. He knows that God is consistent. He knows that he, whatever he says he will do, he will do. And that's always the case. God is faithful. Scripture is replete with examples of God fulfilling the promises that he makes, not only to individuals, but to people groups and to, and to the church. The greatest of all of those being the promise of the Savior. Amen. That's the greatest promise, right? That profession. And, and, and what's so cool when you go through and you look at the prophecies that take place, Jesus had to fulfill about 300 different prophecies, where he would be born, how he would grow everything, all the way very, down to the very last thing that he does on the cross. He says, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar. And the Bible says that the scripture would be fulfilled. And in taking that vinegar, he takes his last breath. That was the last prophecy that had to be fulfilled about Christ. That's why he said, it is finished. Not I am finished. The last prophecy while I'm on this cross is being fulfilled as I take this sip. It is finished. And so what we see is this promise of a coming Savior. What's amazing, it's first mentioned back in Genesis chapter 3. Way back in the Genesis 3 is where the fall takes place. This is where Adam and Eve make their fatal error. Genesis 3.15 says this, And I will put enmity between thee. Enmity means opposition, hatred. I say, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed, listen, and her seed, a seed of man. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Father is pointing to the battle for the souls of men that will ultimately culminate in Satan's defeat at the hands of God. Revelations 12, verses 4 and 5 says this, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Oh, yeah. Verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up, listen to this, caught up unto God and to his throne, sitting on the right hand of the Father. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout human history. There has been an all-out war on the seed of man. Because the seed of man would bring forth the Messiah. Think back. Do you think it's a coincidence that when Moses is a baby, that Pharaoh makes a decree to wipe out all of the Hebrew boys, to destroy them? You know why? He's trying to stop the line that would eventually bring Christ. Do you think it's a coincidence that David was hunted to be killed because guess what? The Messiah would come from the line of of David. Do you think it's unusual that, that Haman would orchestrate trying to wipe out all of the Jews to destroy them utterly and completely and leave them from the earth to stop the Christ child from coming? Do you think it's a coincidence that whenever Herod heard of the, the birth of the Messiah, right, and he wanted to try to find him, and God had told him to hide in Egypt, and he says, no, Joseph, take him to Egypt, take Christ to Egypt. And what happened was Herod sent out an order to wipe out all those kids, trying desperately to kill the Christ. Matthew 2, verses 15 through 16 says this. 
and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, they wouldn't tell him about Christ, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Throughout human history, Satan has been trying to ensure that Christ would not come. For you see, he's heard the prophecy. He knows what the future holds. And he's fighting tooth and nail to try and stop that reality from becoming true. But you see, God made a promise. Way back in Genesis, one of the most famous tellings of it, or recountings or prophecies of it, happens in Isaiah 53. This is 711 years before Christ comes to the earth. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, wouldn't receive him. He was despised and was esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we, all we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. A promise for the sin debt of humanity that was established in Genesis 3, and he told us back then it was going to happen, and the greatest promise of all time, God has fulfilled. And he will fulfill not only the great promises, but guess what? Those little insignificant ones, those little ones where we're, you know, does God really care? Man, he cares about the concerns of our hearts. He tells us to cast our care upon him because he careth for us. That means if it weighs on you, it weighs on him. He says, listen, you don't need to carry around this, 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 this pain, this, this, this hurt, this, this, saw, this loss, this brokenness. You don't need to carry it. Cast it upon me. He says, take my yoke upon you, right? And you cast yours upon me. We give our weights of life on God. And we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to handle these things. And he says, you know what my yoke is? My yoke is to reach the world. And the cool thing is I've already done all the work. All you need is take responsibility. Put my yoke upon you that you might see the world that I see it and try to reach the world. What was the work of the Lord? To establish disciples on the world. The yoke of Christ is to build people in Christ. It's to build in their understanding of who he is and help them to develop so they can do the same thing for somebody else. It's a simple principle. But we get all of our, our time gets eaten up with the cares of the world. And we lose sight of the very job we're here to do. Go ye into all the world. But yet people are so focused on paying their bills and not trusting God and not leaning on Him that they're consumed by the moment and their circumstances fill their view. And instead of walking by faith, they take every step, every choice, based upon sight. Easy to preach. Hard to live. I'm in the same fight you're in. Every single day. But see, God is faithful. God keeps his promises. He is the ultimate picture of unwavering faithfulness. He is the perfect personification of it. Caleb, in his life, man, he leaned on that truth of who God was. It's what allowed him to do what he did. It was the foundation of his life. And he knew that God could always be trusted 
see, when it comes to you and I, how about us? Do we live our lives so we can, we can really trust the Lord? That we can really count on Him? Or do we believe, for whatever reason, just now, finally, after thousands of years of faithfulness with us, He's going to drop the ball? Look at his track record. He has never failed. His track record speaks for itself, not only in Scripture, listen, but in the lives of Christians all over this world. Testimonies that can be shared in this room of how good God has worked through circumstances and situations that were not fun. But do you know what? Many times the very circumstances of life that are the hardest to deal with are the ones that we most desperately need because it allows us to realize that we need God. We don't grow through blessings. We grow through devastation. All of us. The valleys of life, right? And just happens to be that in the valleys of the real world, the richest soil is in the valley. Again, another picture. We all want mountaintop experiences, but people don't grow. It's dead and rocky and dry. And if it's about growing our faith, man, we need to be in the richest soil. And unfortunately, it is only through adversity. Tribulation, work with patience, patience, experience, experience hope. See, it is by way of tribulation that we understand even what hope is. It's by way of tribulation that we grow in our faith. See, the only reason people don't trust God is because they don't really know God. They don't. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says this. God speaking through Jeremiah says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. There's a lot of people that know God on a superficial level. There's a lot of people that maybe even read the Bible. They can tell you the stories. Boy, they can tell you all about the, about the, the ark, and they can tell you about, you know, uh, the garden. They can tell you about Job. They can tell you all kinds of stuff. They have all kinds of knowledge about God. But see, the problem is because they read superficially, they don't actually get to know who God is because they think the Bible's about them. Just a history book. It just lists a bunch of things. I'm just going to use my self-help book. No. This is a mirror to look into or a, or a portal to look into the heart of God. We can look at God's heart on every single issue, struggle, concern. We can see his love. We can see his frustrations. We can see his grace. We can see his mercy. We can see his incredible love, which is threaded from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end is a love story to humanity. Christ dying on the cross was for the very purpose that there was no hope without him. And realizing the fact that we need a savior, it's the very thing, man. It creates an opening, a a doorway, a, a bridge to the father. We're separated by our sin. And it was by two pieces of wood that God made a bridge. And if we will by faith step on that bridge, guess what? It will hold us. And we can walk straight into the Father's arms. How beautiful. How beautiful he is. And as we saw last week, God reveals himself through his word. So if we want to know him, we need to be in this book. If you go, look, I don't know how to read it. Listen, you need to get involved in discipleship. Walk with somebody who can help you to understand the word of God. Walk with somebody that can help you to grow. Because understand, if we're not searching God's word with all of our hearts, then we're going to miss the boat. But if we will search with all of our hearts, not only will we get to know who God actually is, but we'll get to see him through the eyes that Caleb did. Understanding that, man, he is the very image 
of unwavering faithfulness. That's who God is. And instead of living life through tribulation and trepidation and fear, and allowing life to have its way with us, instead of standing at the border and looking in and saying, you know what, let's go back to Egypt. What if we said, let's go right now. Let's take this land because God has a purpose for the life that he's given you. And it's not just about surviving this world. It's about reaching this world. We've all been given a mission. The question is, will we do it? God has a purpose and a plan for everything you're going through. Trust him in the midst of it and help him let him grow you through it so that you can minister to the world around you. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the unwavering faithfulness that you display to us every single day. Thank you for the word of God that gives us insight and understanding who you are. Lord, the fact that we can know you personally, know you intimately, have a love relationship with you that's so special, so sweet, so so incredibly impactful. You tell us it's a peace of God that passeth all understanding. It'll keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Lord, as children of God, we've been given the incredible gift of the Spirit of God that lives within us. And through that Spirit, Lord, you can take us through your word to understand your very character, your very heart. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, maybe that are here today, that are going through circumstances, things that are overwhelming to them. Boy, their their sight is filled with adversity. But, Lord, let them look past that and hold on to the faith that you've already seen everything. And that, God, you even have a purpose and a plan for this. You tell us in Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good for those who love God that are called according to his purpose. Lord, you have a purpose for this life. And unfortunately for most of us, because we're hard-headed, we need to go through adversities to see it. So, Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are going through it right now. Whatever it is they are facing, God, would you help them? Would you help them to lean on you? God, would you make your presence strengthening, um, reassuring, comforting, and at the same time challenging? Thank you for being faithful to us when we are unfaithful to you. And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't even know where I stand with God. I'm not even sure that I am a child of God. Listen, there are a lot of people in the world that are religious. There are a lot of people in the world that believe in God. And there are also a whole lot of people that are deceived, that are going to go to hell. Not because they're not people that deserve it. Listen, nobody deserves salvation, but Christ loves us anyway. He died on the cross for the sins of the world and he bore that weight so that you and I could come to him freely and by faith just receive the gift that he offers to the world. From the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And right now, with a forgiving heart, he is reaching out to you. And if you want to receive him as your savior, if you've never truly done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There is no magic in the prayer. There's no ceremony involved. It is nothing more than a broken heart surrendering to a loving God. As we speak right now, he is brokenhearted for you and he's calling you with all that he can. All you have to do is surrender. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your savior, again, it's not a ceremony. It's not a prayer. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it's not the words that saves you. It's your heart, your surrender. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know that I've, 
I failed you. I failed myself. I failed my family. But Lord, I'm so sorry. And I realize that there's no way for me to work my way out. It's only by faith in what you've done on the cross. So with all of my heart, I'm asking you right now, Lord, would you pay my sin debt? Lord, would you receive me? Would you redeem me? God, would you save my soul? In the best way I know how, I'm asking you, Lord, to make me a child of the King. Thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Thank you for saving me. Lord, I will see you in one day in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still back.